Hello and welcome, Costy Hin. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, Costy. It's great to see you. Costy, tell us everything that we need to know about you in 60 seconds. <laughs> well, I am married to a wonderful woman who I love deeply, Christine, my bride. And we have five kids and I get the joy of watching them grow, and we're having a wonderful time as a family. Also, I pastor a church called Shepherd's House Bible Church here in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and Shepherd's House is a church plant. We're about 18 months old, and the Lord is growing it spiritually, and we've also seen people getting saved and growing, and we're so grateful for all of that, and it's a joyful labor. And then I also lead For the Gospel, which is a media ministry. We put out resources for people. Our tagline is Sound Doctrine for Everyday People, because we want to take strong and high theology, but bring the cookies down from the top shelf, make it simple and easy to understand. And uh, so that ministry has been a joy. We do that with a lot of media, videos, podcasting, all of that. And then uh, as well, I, I publish books. And so whenever I get the chance, I love to write on certain topics that I think are important and then hopefully help people a lot and just have a passion for the truth, love people and enjoy serving the Lord. Excellent. And you're you also studying for your PhD as well, aren't you? If, I, if I've heard that right, is that yeah, I'm currently at the Master's Seminary for my doctorate in expository preaching. So that keeps me busy and reading and stretching. Brilliant. Gosley, how did you first become a Christian? I actually was in the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement very much off course as far as the gospel and a true understanding of Christ and most certainly uh, a very, very wayward understanding of the Holy Spirit and his work. And over the course of a number of events and years, I ended up, I was reading in the Bible about uh, the healing at the pool of Bethesda, John chapter five, verses one to 17. And I had always believed and taught and adhered to the theology of the prosperity gospel in that if you have enough faith, God will do whatever you want. If you decree things or say in Jesus name, or you have the right attitude, you know, God will bless you. He'll make you happy, healthy, wealthy, all of that. And I also would say, in my theological view, saw God as, no, I wouldn't say I thought of this, but this is exactly how I treated him. God was a puppet on a puppet string, and I was the puppeteer. And yeah. uh, you could control God with enough faith and all that. So he's very much like a magic genie, so to speak. If you rub him right, he'll give you what you want. And I saw in that passage something I'd never seen before. I had new eyes, most certainly. The Holy Spirit had illumined the truth. And I saw that Jesus healed one man out of a multitude in that situation. And I remember thinking, it's always his will, his will to heal everyone. Why did wait? He he always heals everyone. Why did he only heal just one man? And then he healed the man immediately, which the man immediately started, no limping, no music, no offering, no anointed healer, no stadium, no waving of a jacket or laying hands on anyone. Just he healed him. And then the last kicker was the man didn't know who Jesus was. When the Pharisees questioned the man in John 5, he says, the man who, who told me, the man who healed me told me I could pick up my pallet and walk. And John records, he didn't know who Jesus was. And that really messed me up because I thought, how did he get healed? If he didn't have enough faith, he didn't even know who Jesus was. What in the world? And so I picked up a commentary by John MacArthur, and I started reading. So a friend had given it to me. I thought nothing of it. 
And I started reading in it from that passage, and it was remarkably life-changing. The Lord used it to open my eyes to his sovereignty, the true gospel, and a proper theology of healing and faith. And I began to go down the rabbit trail in all of these key essential doctrines, and it changed my life. I got saved, and uh, the rest is kind of history. Yeah, you've mentioned the Holy Spirit a couple of times already. We've just launched a a very helpful brand new book called Knowing the Spirit, which is really good because the Holy Spirit remains a mystery, doesn't it, to to many Christians. How does your new book, Knowing the Spirit, address this major problem, Costi? Well, for starters, I make a case right away that he is God, he is a person, and he's personal, meaning you should have a relationship with him. And that begins with the gospel and believing in Christ by faith, and then the Holy Spirit takes over, baptizes you into the body of Christ, fills you, certainly seals you. But what got me thinking about writing was this research that was being put out. One study in particular from Arizona Christian University, just right here in my backyard, uh, they put out a study that found nearly 60% of adults in their study, professing Christians, didn't believe that the Holy Spirit was even real or existed. Others confused, thinking he is he the spirit of Christ? Is he the spirit of something else? Is he is he uh, another form? Is he a created being? What is he? Is he even a he? Is he a mystical force? And all of that confusion burdened my heart greatly. And so I wanted to write something that would be intensely practical, break everything down really simple, and help people apply it. And one of the key things that we needed to start with was he's God. And two, he's a person. You should know him and understand him. He's not a force. He's not a mystical it. Um, when I say he's he's a part of the Trinity, I mean, he's a member of the Trinity. He He's an equal and active person. When you look at the Trinity, God in three persons, he is one of them. He's not some other thing. And so all of that, so important uh, for people to understand. And certainly we should have the right relationship with him that the Bible describes. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. What work does the Holy Spirit do within a believer's life? Oh, that's a loaded question. I can give you 50, uh, but a few, just a few. And these are all laid out in the book as well. But he is a part of regeneration. He's part of that process. He's not detached from salvation and the work of us being reborn, the born again experience for a believer. The Holy Spirit is very much involved. Uh, So you could say salvation. And then sanctification, which would be the cleansing or the set-apartness, if you will, of a believer in our lives. He is cleansing and washing and making us more holy and conforming us to the image of Christ. So salvation and sanctification being two of his major works. But there's other things that are a part of those processes. And one in particular would be conviction. Now, that I'm going to now proceed salvation with when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, when we hear the gospel, well, that's an incredible process by which we're being pierced to the heart. You think of those in the book of Acts when they're being preached to by the apostles and they're pierced to the heart. They say, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and believe, be baptized, go like, what's the response? So he convicts and he does that in a powerful way. Now, some people, they'll suppress the truth and unrighteousness, like Romans 1.18 says, But for the believer, we respond to that conviction in faith 
and with humility, with repentance. We don't want our former way any longer. We have a hatred for sin now. We love Christ and we love righteousness. And so conviction. Also, I want to add illumination. And I brought this up when I was sharing about John 5, but he illumines the truth. He he lights it up in our minds. I always call this the light bulb moment. It's when you're reading the scriptures and sure, in many ways ongoing, I would say that he continues to teach us and continues to provide us with light bulb moments, if you will, when you're reading and things become more clear and more understanding. He's our teacher and we need him. Don't ever read the Bible without praying and asking the Holy Spirit for help. Yes, but before conversion, or you might say as a part of conversion, you're reading and maybe people listening or watching, you've had this moment I have where you're going, has that always been there? I mean, maybe you've read the Bible, maybe you've heard the gospel, maybe you've been around church and then all of a sudden everything is clear. That's illumination. He causes you to believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, powerful word of God. He causes you to see it for what it is, and he ignites a hunger in your heart, and then you read it, and you love it, and you want it, and you grow from it. So I've just kind of walked you through conviction, illumination, regeneration, sanctification. Uh, He baptizes us into the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. He seals us, and that's Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. He's the guarantee, the pledge. He's marked us and holds on to us. He keeps us saved and helps us persevere. Another fun one, he intercedes for us. That's Romans 8, 26. The Bible teaches that when you don't know what to pray, and when you're weak, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses and helps us pray. What a remarkable gift. And so on and on and on, a couple more. He fills Ephesians 5, 18. And he bears fruit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, remarkable, remarkable things that all of us need. And so we should walk by the Spirit, which is Galatians 5, 16, where to walk is this idea of being preoccupied constantly with the things of the Spirit. And that should be a major, major focus of us as believers in the Christian life. Yeah. Having covered all of that cost i'm not sure why somebody would want to but what would you say to someone that says that they are a christian but they're not filled by the holy spirit oh i i would say they're missing out on a massive aspect of his work if if somebody says they weren't walking filled or they weren't filled with the holy spirit and they were a christian i might ask them to clarify what they mean so the baptism of the holy spirit is a one-time thing We're all baptized into the body of Christ, one spirit, one Lord, one body, one baptism. The filling, based on Ephesians 5.18, and I unpack this in the book, is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 is a present active verb, literally translates be being continually filled. So if someone said, I'm a believer, but I I just, I'm not, I don't think I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, or I'm I'm really just feeling dry or whatever. Um. I had a friend one time in a conversation tell me that I was not acting spirit filled or I wasn't, I wasn't spirit filled in that moment. And my response was insensitive in this conversation. My response was insensitive. It was, it was harsh. It was resistant. 
And it was, it was not the right response. And we all have those and all of us are human. And my friend who was exhorting me said, Costi, you, you know what, you know what it was? You just weren't being spirit filled. And I thought, wow, I was so convicted. I certainly was a believer. I was baptized in the body of Christ. I'm a Christian. And yet in that moment, I wasn't being spirit filled. Well, what is that? I, would lay this out very similar to the way uh, John MacArthur describes it. And I would quote him on this. He says, being spirit filled is, and I'm paraphrasing here, a yieldedness. It's a moment by moment, step for step, minute by minute submission to the Holy Spirit. And so if you said, I'm a Christian, but I just, I don't think I'm spirit filled or I haven't been being spirit filled. I would say you need to pray a prayer of confession of sin. You need to Ask the Lord for help in submitting your heart. You've been rebellious or resistant, and you've not been devoting yourself to him. I think like Jonathan Edwards, you need a a bit of renewal in your affections. Jonathan Edwards talked often about the affections, and you need to be reminded about what it means to love Christ and to live for Christ. And that is part of the Holy Spirit's job description. John 16, verse 14. Jesus says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, meaning Christ. Well, that means our purpose, being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized by the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit, means he's going to help us glorify Christ. Well, if you're not being Spirit-filled in your life, well, you're going to run into challenges with bringing glory and honor to Christ. And so if you're a believer and you would say, I, I just don't feel like I'm spirit filled. I would say now is the perfect time to go to the Lord in prayer and begin to understand what the evidences of the spirit filled life are. Yeah, so good. Thank you. Why did Jesus have to return to heaven before being able to send the Holy Spirit? That's a great question. Uh, first of all, because he said that he said that's the way it needs to be. Uh, this, this is the advantage in John chapter 14 and then John chapter 16. We get kind of two of the quintessential uh, descriptions of the Holy Spirit and his work. And when Jesus says it's to your advantage, I, you know, I would lay it out pretty simply based on what the Bible describes. When Jesus is with the disciples, he's there in person, and that's great. And he's there. And yet he says, it's to your advantage that I go because another is going to come. And he tells them, of course, go and wait in Jerusalem, all of that. But what you have, if you say, what's the difference between the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit? Well, proximity for all believers. Now, of course, God is omnipresent. We don't need to start slicing and dicing the Trinity here. Jesus is ever-present, of course. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as he takes residence in us, and even though Christ is in us and we are in him, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 are so specific that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's an advantage to us. Now, God has taken residence within the believer. And that is empowerment. That is giftedness. That is baptism and sealing. All of that. Uh, For the disciples in particular, Jesus says, when he comes, he will disclose to you everything I've said. So you have this delivery of revelation scripture that they're going to write they're going to have perfect memory recall and deliver the word of god well now who gets the benefit of that what advantage is that well now for all ages until christ returns yeah we all have 
his revelation. And the Holy Spirit is, well, he's the one who delivered that to the apostles. But even now, he is the one who is illuminating that truth and continuing to press it upon hearts and convict and save. So there's a there's an order in which the Father and the Son now have sent the Holy Spirit, and he is very much active, which is why you need to understand his work and experience his work, of course, through the gospel, because we're not in sort of the, the lesser age, if you will, or he's not the, the third-class citizen of the Trinity, and now it's sort of like, well, just kind of hang out, and he's, he's sort of not really sure what to do with him. No, he is equally active. He is God. He is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he is in us. So all of that, advantageous, very important to know, and we all, as believers, have him. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times already the Holy Spirit's role in terms of teaching those that are in Christ and illuminating the text. How is it that we can have, um, there can be two spirit-filled believers, yet they can come to two completely opposing conclusions with, with one particular text? Such a good question. Well, even though the Holy Spirit is our advocate and together he fills us and he is our teacher and he is our illuminator, that does not negate study of Scripture. It does not negate the potential for two Spirit-filled people to come to a text and see it differently. Now, that won't happen regarding the gospel. That will not happen regarding Christ, essentials, I would say, that are so clear and linked to salvation. But what may occur is a varying view on eschatology. What may occur is a, a different inference on baptism. Now, I would be more of a Reformed Baptist, most certainly, than I am a, uh, a Presbyterian, and so I won't see uh, paedo-baptism or infant baptism the way that they will. And you could come to the text, and one may infer that household in that regard is all of the children and babies too, or one might approach the covenants a certain way, seeing that uh, a baby might be baptized into the covenant and someone else might not. There are these things that don't necessarily uh, impact salvation, meaning a Presbyterian won't is not saying that uh, if you baptize your baby they're saved by that work. There's still salvation by faith alone and grace alone, but we might see things differently. And yet, on the essentials, we won't, because the Spirit of God is within us. And I think of what Paul told Timothy when he said, study to show yourself approved. All of the men in the Bible, given to study, given to the Scriptures, given to taking pains in the preaching and the teaching and the reading of Scripture, and uh, you have Paul and Peter having a bit of a, a rift at times, and there's sharp rebuke that happens between them, and they're seeing things differently. Uh, was the Holy Spirit divided when Barnabas wanted to maybe take it easy a little bit on John Mark, and Paul perhaps was, uh, you know, the tough guy in the bunch saying, I don't want little John Mark whining, and he, he left us last time. No, no, you know, no, no weaklings on my missionary trips, and yeah. Was the same Holy Spirit in them both? Of course. And yet men will see things differently. So very important to understand. If the Spirit of God is in you, you are going to get the gospel right. That is the message of salvation. And he is, as we would say in 
in theology, he is the agent of salvation, meaning he is the one applying the work of Christ to us. He's not going to miss on that. And yet there yeah. will be other aspects that we see differently. Him being the teacher and the illuminator does not mean that we shouldn't study. I'll just share personally, as in the, the hyper charismatic movement for years and Oh, I can't tell you how many times, you know, we would we would make comments like, you know, these Baptists and these these reformed types, they're so dead and they're so just empty and dry spiritually with their manuscripts and their preparation and their pre they always get in the way of the Holy Spirit with all of their preparation. You know, I just get in the pulpit and I flow with the Spirit of God. I don't need to study. He's my teacher. And there would be an excusing of the neglect of study. That yeah. is not at all biblical. Every single one of us should study the scriptures. Yeah. One of those uh, passages that just come to mind and, and it's linked to the Holy Spirit is I'm sure, Costi, we've both been in, in an environment in church before where a well-meaning uh, speaker will say where two or three are gathered, you know, he he will be here with us in terms of, but, but we know that as Christians, the Holy Spirit is always with us. Where are they getting that wrong? What's actually going on there, Costi? That's a great question and and really one that I think some people will use well-intentioned and others just ignorant and, you know, others just haven't studied and they they ought to and they or they've heard this before and go, ah, who cares? Don't nitpick theologically. I would say it's so important to be in line with scripture. Now, a couple of things. First of all, let's let me throw another phrase out there that people people throw out there. You hear a lot of this in worship services or music kind of renditions here in the U.S. I don't know how it is for you in the U.K. as much, but uh, it's pretty popular to say things like, you know, oh, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here in this yeah. place. Just come fall on us and and come and we just invite your presence and we invite you and we invite you. And there, that is all, if, if we've not been taught or we're just well-intentioned but ignorant, that's all what we would say is Christianese, meaning it's just Christian lingo that we've picked up somewhere, maybe from one of these, you know, famous singers, Phil Wickham or Chris Tomlin or one of those guys in the red, just always saying that at concerts or whatever. And when we slow down and think about the theology behind the statement, I think it exposes that we've been going through the motions with our verbiage and words matter. The way we say things matter. When we're inviting the Holy Spirit and we're beckoning him to come and going fall and fall and fall, we have forgotten in a sense or not thought about. Yeah. He is God, which means he's omnipresent, which means he is all present, which means he was already there and there first. So who entered into whose presence? Right. We entered into right. his presence. And then if we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, then he's already taken residence in us. And so when we gather together as the church, not only have we already entered the presence of God, who is omnipresent, but we together are the temple of God. So his presence is there as well. And you, you just think, why am I inviting him where he already is? So let's change our language. And let's say, maybe you want to say, Holy Spirit, thank you for being here in us 
Thank you for guiding our worship. Thank you for illuminating the truth. Thank him for things he does scripturally. Now, you wouldn't thank him for dying on the cross for you. He didn't. Christ did. You you want to pray. If you're going to pray Trinitarian prayers, like many of the church fathers did and so many others, if you're going to pray Trinitarian prayers, pray in line with the role that you're talking about. So you pray to the Father. You pray If you were to pray to Christ Jesus, you would thank the Lord Jesus for atoning for your sin and all of that. So in that, pray accurate prayers. Speak about to and 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 talk about the members of the Trinity in their role. And what are you doing? You're teaching theology and praying right theology. Theology is the logic, God logic. It's knowledge of God. We want to get that knowledge right. And in our worship services, when we gather together, using the right language helps us. I think it was John Piper who once said, a congregation doesn't just learn its theology from the sermons it it hears, but the songs that they sing. And so sing the right theology, pray the right theology, uh, in, introduce the former call to worship, the formal call to worship, theologically accurate, and all of that, very important. So that's some of the things that I, again, I have in the book that I want to help people with. Not that so we would all be, you know, theological nitpickers and little Pharisees walking around picking on the way everyone talks. No, but so that we would know him deeper and more accurately according to scripture, which then does what? It impacts our worship. And that's the goal, that we would worship and honor Christ and be reverent and biblical. Yeah. So true. Costi, we're both in the same reform circle and and we're very both we're both very aware of the excesses within the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Do you think there's a risk of an oversteer in the other direction? Because we're aware of all that crazy stuff. Do you think there's a risk that there's an oversteer and there's a ditch on the other side that we can sometimes fall into without actually realizing? I do. And that was a motive for this book as well. I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't. There are three reasons I wrote the book or three driving motivators and and different audiences I prayed for and thought about. Certainly the completely ignorant person who does not believe or know that the spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is God, or they have a false view of him like he's a force or, or just a mystical view in ignorance. And then there's the the hyper charismatic that is abusing or misunderstanding, misrepresenting his work. But then I would say there is the uh, we'll call it, and we're picking on ourselves here, the hyper-reformed neglect. And here's maybe a, a just a caricature, but also a, maybe just an accurate figurative illustration. Because we don't want to be the crazy charismatics, and because we don't want to abuse his work, we aren't really sure what to do then with the Holy Spirit. So we sort of relegate him. Again, you can't relegate him because he's God, but just in your sanctified imagination here, figuratively, roll with me, we sort of relegate him off into the corner awkwardly, like, okay, you just stay there, you kind of don't, don't do anything weird or rock the boat, you know, nobody raise their hands, because they're going to think you're Pentecostals, and, you know, if we, if we sing loud, that's fine, but don't get too emotional or too excited, if you, if you're going to do anything, okay, you can do a little bit of this, and a mighty fortress is our God, you could raise a fist, but don't do this, because now you're going to look like one of those weirdos, and, and we don't want to, you know, be too engaged with the faculties of our body. We don't want to look up too much, but don't look down too much, maybe. And so we can get a little stoic. And 
we've we've convinced ourselves that uh, singing hymns and standing like this and being stoic and thoughtful and just staring at the lyrics, if they're even allowed to be on the screen, mind you, we might have our hymnal and that's the way to do it. And, and, and that's the way that we do it. And this is not an emotional thing. It is an exercise of the mind. And let me just say yes and amen to so much of that. The mind must be engaged. Yes, we want to avoid over uh, emotionalism and manipulation and playing music a certain way and hitting certain keys to prime people into response. Absolutely. And so, but in the overswing, we've yeah. now moved so hardlined into regulative principle and for so many great reasons that, you know, if someone were to just not even know about pentecostalism they get saved out of atheism and they they just are so filled with with ever wonder love and praise towards jesus and they love him and, and they're singing how great thou art and they just say how great you are and they're doing that you, you might think oh boy you know what they've been watching some bethel stuff apparently and they haven't they're just filled with the spirit and filled with joy and what do we do at a sporting event i mean you're in the uk right yeah yeah right yeah. You soccer hooligans are insane. You're wild. And I'm Canadian. So hockey, we're no better. It's like the pot right. calling the kettle black. <laughs> Brother, I have lost my voice and lost my mind at sporting events. Now, we don't lose our mind in worship, but I've, I'm expressive over that which is moving me because my team is winning. Well, I don't need to act like a hooligan in a worship service because the Bible calls for self-control. However... Is not the lyrics of a song like How Great Thou Art moving the soul that you might think of the Lord and that, and that you're more than just a robot singing words. There's this, this joy and zeal and passion that wells up within us. Why? Because Christ is great. God is almighty. He has won victory in our hearts. He saved us. When you think about a song like how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, I start thinking of what he's done and what Christ has done, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Are you kidding me? What have I done to deserve that? It's enough to cause tears for some. It's enough to cause others to bow their head and surrender and say thank you in the middle of that moment, maybe in their own prayers. And here's what I would say. On all sides, there's ditches. We just don't want to end up in those ditches. So here's what I would say for us as the reform types. Don't think that someone's expression is mere charismatic emotionalism. And don't think that someone who is standing and just singing the lyrics. Nothing more than some pharisee with their reformed robotic theology no some people express themselves differently we all have different personalities my wife is much more introverted she is yeah. calm she would make a good brit and a bad soccer hooligan she's got a good stiff upper lip my wife will look and sing and meditate on truths and is having a wonderful experience if you will in her worship of christ that is her way of expressing. Right. She's a very calm woman. Yeah. I've always been passionate. I've always been a zealous guy. I'm a heart forward type of person. And so that's me. None of it has anything to do with 
being reformed or being charismatic. Nothing has to do with, well, we do it this way. It's simply being who we are. So let's be careful of making sweeping judgments of one another and let the brother, Romans 14, don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a distraction. Don't be overdone. But like, let the brother who is excited to worship Christ, and that's just who he is, do it. And, And let the brother who is engaged as well in his mind and yet just differently expressing in his body and his passions and his hands and he is standing thinking let those be authentic and genuine biblical expressions and let all maintain self-control that i think is so important so we don't miss out on deep vibrant relationship with the holy spirit who is god yeah, so good. Brilliant stuff, Costi. Costi could genuinely speak to you for another two hours, but I know you've got to go. Before we let Thank you go, so much for your time, before we let you go, please take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also let people know how they can follow you on social media. Yeah, closing thought would be uh, if the book is a blessing to you, please leave a review. And uh, that just helps people look at those. And, and I think it will encourage folks as well. And then lastly, when you're reading the book, don't miss the chapter on the unity of the spirit. So important. We'll differ on some things here and there, but I think we could have more unity than ever before on the essentials together. We need that in these days. And then uh, if people are looking to connect on social media, I have an Instagram account and Facebook. I use those. And then uh, for the gospel has YouTube, uh, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of that as well. And furthergospel.org has all our resources. And then our church, Shepherd's House, we have a YouTube channel where all the sermons are as well. So those are the great places to connect. And if you're looking for books, Amazon or wherever books are sold, have them all. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go and find all of those links to save you searching for them. And I'll make sure that they're all in the description below. Costi, thanks again for your time. I really enjoyed catching up with you, brother. Thank you, brother. Talk to you soon. 